you know, there's an Accenture survey of retail executives that was released in October that found nearly all of them, 99% said they'd increase their promotional activity as part of the holiday plans, and another 35% said their companies are deeply discounting or taking measures to get rid of excess inventory. So, like we said kind of at the earlier part of the podcast, if you're looking for some deals, go out there and shop and, and see what's out there. And if you're looking in the market for TV, apparel, something, check it out. I'm Chris Hill, and that's Motley Fool Senior Analyst Sanmeet Deo. As shoppers are gearing up for Black Friday, Ricky Mulvey caught up with Sanmeet to discuss how retailers are navigating inventory pileups and how one real estate investment trust is showing how malls aren't dead. It seems that it's cheaper to put things onto a ship, but also a lot of these retailers have a lot of stuff that they're dealing with already. That's that's the big theme I'm seeing. How about you? Yeah, you know, inventory excess is kind of the theme going into the holiday season right now. You know, just recently in about late September, Nike's discussion on their earnings call about um, their kind of inflated inventories kind of spooked spooked the market a little bit. Um, you know, U.S. retailers have been sitting on a record $732 billion of inventory as of July, which is a 21% increase from a year ago, according to the Census Bureau data. So, um, this might be a good time to start looking for some deals as consumers for the holiday season. If you're looking for TV, electronics, apparel, um, all kinds of things. Um, inventory has been high. You know, it's been challenging for retailers uh, over the past couple of years with the pandemic and then kind of the rise and, and fall of the pandemic and managing through that crisis. And, you know, it's, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't envy them in trying to figure out inventory is the name of the game for retailers and for, for this industry and managing it is really the most key critical element of their businesses. And, you know, managing a crisis like a pandemic was never, probably never in their uh, playbook. And they had to call an audible, as you could say, in, 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 in sports analogy terms, but, you know, they were, were during the pandemic at a time when everyone was shut down, everyone looked online to shop and they continue to shop. They got some stimulus money. They had some cash set aside, um, from not going out and eating and doing other things. So they went shopping online. And, and so these retailers started to build up inventories to kind of prepare for that and build, build those, uh, build, build that up. And then as things started, you know, easing off the pandemic, people started going out again, started shopping out like in, in stores and then just also doing other things. Um, retailers started to see, well, you know, now we have too much inventory. So now they're trying to manage through that and figure out what's the next step. One thing that stood out for me is for a lot of the, a lot of the pandemic, the big story were these backups at the port of Los Angeles and it was impossible to get, get anything um, overseas. Now a 40 foot container from Shanghai to the West coast of North America is going for about $2,100. That was in late September. And that's down from a high of um, $8,100 just this February. Marsk, which is a, the largest global shipping container firm, says that they believe ocean operations will come down in the coming months. You got a lot of things going on. Uh, Europe energy crisis, let's name Ukraine, softer consumer, all that stuff. 
anytime there's any of these economic metrics and things we're looking at, there's so much complexity to it. You know, while while freight costs and input costs are are coming down, that's a silver lining for some of these retailers. You know, the kind of the downside is some of that unwinding could be partly because of lower consumer demand and and retailers selling less, which which um, and they're therefore shipping less. So you know that was something that was pointed out in a report I saw by by um, some, some analysts at Cowan. So metrics are complex in in this in in you know in any economic analysis um but and just to take a step back about inventories and retailers you know higher inventory just to under, understand why it's so so critical is you know higher inventory levels you know could mean that gross margins will take a hit and so forward estimates of gross margin for some of these retailers might be too high so that could be kind of setting themselves up for lower expected numbers as they start reporting in the next, you know, earnings in, in the earnings season that's coming up. And there's a few retailers that are reporting this week that are kind of on the on the higher um the higher end of 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 um the spectrum in terms of 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 prices and stuff like so you have Ralph Lauren, um Capri Holdings, which is the owner of Michael Kors and Tapestry, which is the owner of Coach. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of report and see what, what they're saying about their consumers, you know, trending even trading down from from higher price goods to to maybe some of the lower price goods that they offer or going elsewhere. Yeah, the, the narrative I heard I think it was a few weeks ago from the National Retail Federation to the point of, of the consumers they they said that they were expecting about $950 billion in holiday spending. That was up from like 6 to 8% from last year. And granted, I, I take all of these forecasts with a grain of salt, but their point was that people with lower incomes were going to be significantly cutting back inflation. You know the reasons. But if you had a higher income, then you're probably, your, your spending is, is going to be at best unchanged. I wonder how that holds up now that you're starting to see more layoffs at a lot of these more like white collar tech firms because um, you're going to see people a little bit more even if even if you're not getting laid off you, you might be a little bit more concerned and to your point either trading down or just cutting back spending. And I think with all the gloom and doom and then the, like layoffs, hearing about layoffs, also possibly experiencing a layoff, maybe experiencing the higher prices at the pump at, you know, everywhere you go in the grocery store, all that kind of feeds into the consumer psyche of, all right, things are tight. I need to pull back. And then once yep. they kind of decide they're going to pull back, they're going to go for the, the, the cheaper leggings versus the, the Lululemon leggings, like we were talking about around, you know, prior offline. And so, so once that mentality kind of sinks in, that's kind of how their the, the consumers might proceed with with the shopping season, the mindset they have for the shopping season. And so, yeah, I, when I saw those National Retail Federation um, forecasts, I was a little skeptical. It seems a little high to me, but you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see how the the season plays out. And and we are also seeing a lot of Christmas stuff out already, even before Thanksgiving. We were having a chat with some some other fools about this, and you know, the earlier and earlier stores are starting to sell Christmas stuff or like um, shopping and discounting that means that they're they're really trying to get rid of some of this inventory and and um, starting the season the shopping season earlier means they're they're probably in a little bit of a little bit of fear of, of what's going to happen or uncertainty at least 
that, that was one of the big, as I was looking through some of the retailers' earnings calls, that was, that was one of the big themes is just how like pricing has changed. For a company like Nordstrom, they were saying um, that even like, like consumers are, I, why do I say consumers? You, you are shopping right now. <laughs> you are less receptive to things on, on clearance racks and you're, uh, you want to see more new inventory and private label isn't working as well as they thought they would. Um, that was according to Nordstrom. I'd also argue that it, that's the same thing going on for a company like Dick's Sporting Goods. Dick's wasn't too keen to talk about their private label business in their 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 latest call but if you look at their website they're price they're setting the prices of a lot of things like hoodies in some cases 40 bucks going down to 10 bucks if you just look at the website and then um, they had they were trying to sell one hoodie for 120 bucks and then that was getting cut to to 20 now when I looked like b- before this recording that was for like I think that was like for either an XXL or a small. So like your your sizing may vary on that, but it's interesting. Like it's interesting to see how these uh, retailers are, in some cases, struggling to adapt to, to changing preferences quickly. And then the other thing that they're facing is this macro headwind of a very strong dollar if they're trying to do business overseas. Yeah, you know, just to put a data point to, to what you're saying is, you know, there's an Accenture survey of retail executives that was released in October that found nearly all of them, 99% said they'd increase their promotional activity as part of the holiday plans, and another 35% said their companies are deeply discounting or taking measures to get rid of excess inventory. So, like we said, kind of at the earlier part of the podcast, if you're looking for some deals, go out there and shop and, and see what's out there. And if you're looking in the market for TV, apparel, something, check it out. But if you're a company like TJ Maxx, you're probably celebrating these problems right now. Yeah, you know, so TJ Maxx, Ross Stores, Burlington Coat Factory, Burlington Factory, I think it's called, is, you know, those are off price retailers. And, and what those are, they buy a lot of the excess inventory from retailers at a cheaper price. And then they go around and, and sell that to their customers for a reasonable price that things that are, you know, bargain hunters that really want to go out there and look for you know brand name items at, at lower cost so they kind of thrive in, a, in, a, in an environment where there's excess inventory because they can kind of can kind of get those and then start selling those and it, that had been tougher for them over over the course of the pandemic and it seems like it might it might turn now TJ Maxx is killing it. And I have to admit, I'm very biased against this company because I spent most of my childhood trying to get my mom out of a TJ Maxx store <laughs> more quickly. But Scott Goldenberg, their vice president in the latest call, said, our uh, overall store inventory turns are better than pre-pandemic levels. And they're really playing to that. Uh, they, they know how to play to that shopper who isn't... Um, like they, they don't put their stuff online and you really got to go through and bargain hunt and take upwards of 90 minutes to two and a half hours for your shopping trip. I wish them well. The other thing about the off-price retailers, while it's, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing kind of how they perform. The other yep. thing is their inventories have actually gone up according to a, a UBS analyst report. Um, you know, off-price chains had increased their inventories in the second quarter by 48 percentage points, um, more than their increase, than they increased their sales during the third quarter. So it'll be interesting to see how, how they're managing their inventory as well. And, you know, valuations for off-price retailers aren't extremely attractive right now. You know, TJ Maxx, Ross stores are trading for about a forward PE of about 23 times, which is not cheap when the market is trading for, you know, I think around 15 now. So by just cursory look at it, it seems like Ross is having a little bit more trouble handling their inventory than TJ Maxx. They said that their inventory consolidated inventory levels are up about 55% from the prior year. Granted, you got all the shipping concerns, yada, yada, but that still seems like a lot of merch to go through. 
any other retailers with inventory issues you want to you want to chat about yeah so you know some of the big um the big ones target walmart and home depot are big ones to watch for the next earnings season well and they have had big inventory growth over over the over the year over year period you know target um has grown their inventory 36 percent versus their 3.3 percent sales growth walmart 25 percent inventory growth versus 8.2 sales growth and home depot 38 percent growth over 6.5 sales growth so that inventory growth to sales growth gap is kind of something that you know i look at to kind of see you know are there is their inventory growing well ahead of their sales growth because if their sales isn't keeping pace with the growth of their inventory there might be discounting ahead pressuring margins which could affect their their stock prices consumer spending it's two-thirds of the american economy probably should put some of your your uh, investments in these companies that that handle that consumer spending what are what are the metrics you really look at as an investor you got you got your same store sales you got your gross margin you got your your gap between inventory growth and sales growth that we that we just uh, that you just talked about i didn't just talk about it you did <laughs> and, and any others you, you you think that the the regular old investor should uh, should pay attention to yeah, I mean, those are like the business metrics. And then obviously, like the valuation metrics are something I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Like, while off price retailers like TJ Maxx and Ross stores are, I'm intrigued by how, how this could be an environment they might thrive in, you know, their valuations aren't reasonable enough to kind of take that plunge. Um, so, I, ironically, you know, I think Target is trading at a reasonable valuation. And, you know, if, if the valuation is, is low, but you kind of can see that there's storm clouds that you can see through, like, you know, Target is a phenomenal company that, you know, might be facing some headwinds now. But if you're a long term five plus year investor you know, and valuations that are reasonable for a company like Target might be worth taking advantage of now for your long term investments. Speaking of retailers going after, especially that high end consumer that the National Retail Federation says is healthy. We'll see about it in this upcoming year. Uh, you want to talk about Lululemon? Yeah, you know, Lulu is a is a, is a great company. You know, they have uh, everyone knows them by their leggings and kind of their uh, kind of pioneering a bit of the athleisure um, market. And um, you know, it's it's a solid company. It's one that I'm interested in, but also a little bit worried about going into the earnings season because they have also again theme of the, of, of the day is the excess inventory. They've grown their inventories by a lot. And they're not typically a retailer that, that does much discounting, if at all. Um, you know, they, they, they sell their price, their products at full price. People are willing to pay those products for full price because they do like the brand, like the products that they offer. They are very high quality products that they do offer. So, but, you know, given an environment like this going into it, you know, if they have excess inventory that they can't sell, um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do and how that kind of plays out, um, especially for a stock that's, that is on the, uh, on the higher valuation end. So, you know, if, if they aren't able to kind of manage that situation, then the stock could take a little bit of a hit, um, given, given the, um, the, the gross margin pressures that they could face. It's a tough one. No, but for the long term, though, it's, it's definitely an interesting company. Um, and also one thing that what is hard to f to kind of ferret out from their their results is you know is that inventory growth apparel based like are they growing their apparel in excess or they they also have owned they also have bought mirror so you know is some of that inventory the mirror products that they haven't been able to sell because connected fitness has has been kind of slower to sell products like that so that's another thing that i don't know if they'll say much on their earnings call about but we don't it's it's hard to 
to see what's actually happening there. Lululemon is one, so I'm, I'm a shareholder, and I also I struggle with it. For me, Mirror was always a um, like I, I I was like thumbs down, but I really hope you you can continue your growth story of s- selling more pants and, and shoes, especially internationally, because I don't want to like when I work out, I really don't want to stare at myself the whole time, <laughs> and I think that would be a big big hurdle for for me to use Mirror. But if people like it, they like it. The thing with discounting though, that it's it's really interesting with Lululemon because they've started to open up outlet stores, and and to your point, like they've really prided themselves on being this. Um, Let's let's call it full price luxury brand. When they when they do sales, it seems to be pretty rare. And uh, I, I was in a I was in an outlet store over in over in Castle Rock, Colorado, and uh, the ABC pants, which is like their their premium product, they're discounting. Now I should note the the store itself seemed to be a war zone, uh, retail war zone. <laughs> there aren't a ton of these outlets opening up. Is they're trying to move through this this excess inventory? I think they even have a sale going on right now that's called like "Whoops, we made too much stuff" sale. And a lot of the pants there were like, you really have to dig through some. Um, I'll just say an extraordinarily widening degree of sizes. But this is a very long-winded way of saying I wonder how Lululemon is going to handle discounting while also maintaining the appearance of being a, a premium brand. Nike's done a similar thing though, which is that they have very premium products, and then they also play in the the outlet uh, discount space. I mean, they they might have to take a little page out of the the Nike playbook because you know Nike still, while while you while when I go shopping for Nike, I love Nike products, and you know I'll go searching at the outlet stores for reasonable price Nike stuff, and and if I find it there, that's awesome. But then they also come out with new stuff that still is very exciting and very cool and. I would still pay full price for some of those things too. So manage that will be interesting to see how they do. And then one note is I think a lot of the growth story for Lululemon is um, international growth. Um, you know, when I when I bought when I bought the stock, a lot of my thesis was based on um, there's not a, there's not a big presence in China, and this seems to be like a very good market where they can expand selling their stretchy pants for 128 dollars a piece. They opened eight new stores in, in Q2. They have 40 total stores in, in mainland China, but I, I'm feeling less confident about that 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 specific growth story because you're you're playing a you're playing a game called guess what the Chinese government is going to do, and I am very you know what I'm pretty bad at playing that game, Sandmeat. Oh, I mean, I think everyone is. That's that's definitely a a. a Hard, hard nut to crack. I think though, if outside of China, if Lulu can get you know good, good growth internationally outside of of that market. You know, people across the world do love American brands, and and there is a fascination and enjoyment from American brands. And Nike has proven that very well. Um, so there's still a lot of growth opportunity there that I think they can take advantage of, as as, as long as their brand name holds up well and is strong in other in other markets. International revenue is quadrupled between 2017 and 2021. So I, I really hope they cont- I will, I will, I really hope they uh, continue to prove me wrong. Uh, I'm going to throw some fundamentals at you and see if any of them stand out to you for for our friends at Lulu. They got a price to sales of about 5.6. That seems to be relatively low historically. Price to free cash flow through uh, through the trailing 12 months is at 183. Got a 40% return on equity, 24% return on invested capital, market cap of $42 billion, 
Nike, on the other hand, is about 147 billion. Adidas is 18 billion. And you've got some strong Glassdoor reviews. 87% would recommend the company to a friend. 92% of the CEO, Calvin McDonald. All right. I just threw a word salad and a number salad at you. You're the analyst. Any of those stand out to you in particular? Oh, the ROIC of 24% is, is, is great. Like any kind of ROIC above 20%. Um, and I believe if I, if I look back historically, they've done pretty close to that, like consistently. So any, any metric like that above, um, above 20% is definitely a great metric. Um, great, great management. So, um, and, and 42 billion versus the Nike, uh, 147 billion, Adidas, 18 billion, there's there's definitely growth opportunity there, especially like like we talked about with international, they started gaining more presence and growth there. And then you know, connective fitness is hard to say what mirror you know will add, but you know if it can even add a little bit, that could definitely help juice some of that. If if anything, just get more apparel sales into their into their door. The return on invested capital is I as I think about how much coverage and how much I've thought about the mirror acquisition, I would not have guessed it to be that high. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 impressive. Let's let's keep moving because I think there's there's an interesting REIT I want to talk about, and that's Simon Property Group. They do Class A malls, so that's that's your that's your higher end mall. They also own J.C. Penney. I think they bought it out of out of bankruptcy. If you read David Simon on his quarterly earnings calls, it's based his theme is this is a message to all of my haters: in person shopping is not dead. I think it's interesting. Uh, it's got a 6.4% dividend yield. Uh, I think it's still it's still it's still not at pre-pandemic levels. And then it's also got an occupancy rate now of 94 about 94 95%. And that's higher. That's that's about in line, slightly higher than pre-pandemic levels. So I think they still have a lot of question marks. I don't know if they've seen the full whiplash of the pandemic because they have an average lease term of seven years. Um, but it's still an interesting company to me that's defying the narrative that the mall is dead. You know, while I love rule-breaking trends and innovations, and online shopping and retail has been has been explosive during the pandemic, and as will continue to to kind of thrive um, going forward, uh, I, I I do agree that physical retail is not dead. I mean, you know, when you think of with the holiday season coming up, when you think of holiday shopping and buying gifts for friends and family. You know, you're gonna go out there and go to malls and stores and check out what's out there, what's on sale, what's what's catching your interest of of, of gifting to somebody. You know, you get ideas from just going shopping and, and and being in those in those places in those malls and just to get out. I think we've all been enclosed in, in for way too long in the past couple of years, so just getting out in itself is helpful. So I definitely agree that physical retail is not dead. Um, I, I I I will say that retailers that can combine the the physical with the online and really make a hybrid business model for them will thrive because then they capture kind of anywhere and everywhere that uh, consumers want to shop. So it's definitely an interesting proposition. That dividend yield is very attractive. Um, If you want to kind of build your portfolio to have some some investments in there that will help you kind of beat the market over the long term, dividend paying stocks will definitely help you do that and achieve those results. Any companies come to mind when you think of ones that execute a really interesting hybrid strategy deal? 
I don't know if they do a hybrid strategy, but one thing, one company that has, well, hybrid strategy, Target does a pretty good job of, of uh, online and offline retail. They've done a lot of things, especially during the pandemic, where you can shop and get your products in any way possible. You can pick them up in the store. You can go there and, and they'll just you know, drive up to the store, park in a designated spot, and they'll bring the, the items out to you, or they'll just deliver to you, and they've improved their, their logistics and their delivery. So Target's definitely do good, done a good job of blending that. Um, another business that we were chatting about, too, that was has been kind of impressive in the way they've managed their inventory is, is Macy's. You know, they've oh, yeah. Been, you, they've been using data and analytics to truly really manage their inventory levels through this. You know, they've, their inventory levels have only risen 7% year over year in the second quarter. So, you know, given what, what we talked about with some, some of the other retailers, Target, Home Depot, and all those, um, and even other, other department stores, they've done pretty well with the, with the way they've managed their inventory. I, I'm not going to say I would, I love Macy's as an investment right now. I would have to dig in further. There's a lot of other concerns I would have for Macy's, but their management of their inventory has definitely been impressive. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.